you know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG, the original great Rob Silver. Like I've said before, when I first met Gary Gonzalez about a decade ago, he coined the term the great Robert Silver. Well, that's why I am the original great Robert Silver. And today... I'm going to start off by going on a, on a tirade about Tyson Fury, Terrence Crawford, and Errol Spence, an extended Q&A session, and then a historical overview of the legendary Puerto Rican fighter, my 19th greatest fighter of the last 45 years, the bazooka man, Wilfredo Gomez. Now, as I'm recording this Sunday morning, October 23rd, first I want to praise everyone out there that said prayers for my mother. Yesterday she came home after being hospitalized for seven weeks. When she first was admitted to the hospital, when I brought her to the emergency room seven weeks ago, she had malfunctioning kidneys in both kidneys. She almost died. Had I, had I waited another day or two, the doctors told me she could have easily died due to kidney malfunction. But through the magic of medicine, she didn't have to be put on dialysis. Six days later, we're ready to bring her to a rehab facility to work on her walking since her... Arthritis had gotten to the point where she had a hard time walking. During the middle of the night, September 20th, she had a seizure and heart failure. They had to put her on life support. She almost died. Three days later, she regained consciousness and she was alert. It affected her speech, and of course it affected her walking, and it affected her memory. Then we put her in a, a couple of weeks later, she was admitted to a nursing uh, facility, a rehab facility. There she almost had another heart attack. Her blood pressure fell. We had to rush her to the hospital again. She overcame that. Yesterday afternoon, she was released from the hospital. She will spend the next two weeks with my sister before coming back home to me as I renovate her bedroom, fix, get her a new bed. My brother will be painting her. My brother's coming from upstate New York to paint her bedroom. I am so, so, so lucky. And I want to thank the listeners out there for 
keeping you keeping my mother and myself and my family in your thoughts. It's been a rough year, 2022 for me. I lost my son seven months ago. I had a long-term relationship end, and my mother came close to dying two or three times. She has bigger heart than all the great fighters I talk about combined. Now, on to three guys that have pissed me completely off. As happy as my mother has made me, that's how pissed off I am at Tyson Fury, Terrence Crawford, and Errol Spence. Tyson Fury talked all this shit about wanting to fight Anthony Joshua, about wanting to fight Joe Joyce, and who he winds up fighting in December? 65-year-old, washed-up Derek Chisora, a guy that Tyson already beat twice. Why the fuck are we having this fight? This makes no goddamn sense. I'm not going to waste my time blasting this bastard, but fuck Tyson Fury. Speaking of fucking people, fuck Errol Spence and fuck Terrence Crawford. I know on Twitter you've had the debate, you got the Terrence Crawford crew. The Terrence Crawford stands blaming PBC and Errol Spence. You have the Errol Spence and PBC stands blaming Bud Crawford. Let me tell y'all something. I'm not taking a side on, on either one. I love both fighters. Both fighters are two of the best fighters in the world. Both are first ballot Hall of Famers. But this is bullshit, all right? Both parties should have found a way to make this fight. Don't give me this now. Oh, but he didn't he didn't he didn't offer him as much. Oh, he's scared of fight. First of all, ladies and gentlemen, no one neither one of these guys are scared to fight each other. Stop the bullshit. All right? Terrence Crawford got shot in the head and almost died. Errol Spence got in a car accident where he was ejected from his car and fell face first onto the concrete floor and almost died. If you can overcome those two life-threatening situations, then you're not afraid to face any man on the planet. These are two of the greatest fighters of my lifetime. How the hell are they scared to face each other? No, it's not that. It's not that. It's the politics. It's the promoters, it's management, it's all of that that got in together. Because if you ask me, if you put Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence in a room together by themselves, they would have come up and had a handshake agreement to fight each other, right? I heard reports over and over again, oh, the fight is all but done. Now Terrence Crawford is fighting a fucking stiff on a fucking cable channel that nobody has. For a $40 pay-per-view that no one's going to buy? I'm glad he's getting $10 million. I just hope he gets the $10 million because I don't know how the fuck these people are going to find $10 million to pay him. This fight's never going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. So this will be the last time I ever talk about a fight between Errol Spence and Bud Crawford. That shit is in the driver's seat in back of you, all right? Because both of these men will probably be moving up to 154 soon, or one of these men will fuck around and get knocked the fuck out by Jerron Boots Ennis. All right, enough of that tirade. That shit is done. Ladies and gentlemen, before I go into the question and answer section of the podcast, 
I want to talk about the Patreon portion of my podcast and Fight Game Media Network uh, podcast. If you're interested, for $5 a month, you get extra bonus content of what I've been doing this entire year, and that's doing the greatest upsets in boxing history. I've done seven so far. I've got three more to do. And so far, the greatest upsets that I've been talking about in history of boxing is Lloyd Hunnigan's shocking upset of Donald Curry. Junior Jones' shocking upset of Marco Antonio Barrera. Frankie Randall's shocking upset of Julio Cesar Chavez. Hasim Rockman's shocking upset of Lennox Lewis. Villamar Fernandez's shocking upset of Alexis Arguello. Iran Barkley's shocking upset of Thomas Hearns. And Esteban de Jesus's shocking upset of Roberto Duran. Um, in about a week, I'll be doing a Patreon podcast on Cassius Clay, who the next day became Muhammad Ali's shocking upset of Sonny Liston. The link is in the description of the podcast, wherever you're listening. And also, ladies and gentlemen, you hear a four-part series that Garrett Gonzalez, the CEO of Fight Game Media, and myself did on the controversial Hulu series on Mike Tyson. Also, for you pro wrestling fans and MMA fans, there's exclusive coverage on UFC, Bellator, WWE, AEW, MLW, Impact, NWA, etc. So $5 a month, you get all that content, plus you hear the rants of a madman in the original great Rob Silva. Now, on to the Q&A session. First question, he sent in a voice note. I'm not going to play the voice note. It's a long voice note, but uh, my friend Carl Bristol asked me, is there any way that we can have one sanctioning body to eliminate the alphabet soup sanctioning bodies, the four of them that are around, and in order to cut out the middlemen and to cut out all these world champions, the four sanctioning champions per division, plus the franchise and, and, and interim and all this other bullshit. Carl, that's never happening. There's never, that's never happening. I don't foresee that happening at all. It's not going to happen. There's too, first of all, there's too much corruption in boxing amongst the four sanctioning bodies, right? There's too much money being made. A lot of promoters and people claim you know, the boxing media is at fault also because they do not dig deep and try and show how these criminal cartels are robbing the fighters and the fans. These promoters are paying these sanctioning bodies big money to get their fighters ranked or other fighters stripped so their fighters could win world titles or so their fighters could duck fighters. Man, it's criminal. It's criminal. It's not going to happen. The only way it could happen, and this this isn't this is not feasible. But the only way, Carl, this could happen, is if the media steps up and 
and the networks step up and stop recognizing these sanctioning bodies. That's not happening because too much money's being exchanged, changed hands. The only way for this to, to uh, and and the fight fans, you know, fans of a certain fighter go back. Oh, but he's a f- perfect example. Adrian Broner is a four division world champion. No, he's not that good. This man won four titles in four divisions. Are you fucking kidding me? This man was never the best fighter of any division he fought in. Yet he's a four-time champion. He's never defeated an elite fighter. He's never defeated a Hall of Fame fighter. He's a fucking joke. For him to be a four-division champion is a fucking joke. It's fucking criminal. And I'm going to get off this topic because it's very frustrating. One of the things that is destroying this sport is too many world champions. And the media and the box and the networks that show the fights, the the zones, the ESPNs, the Showtimes, the Fox are in bed with these criminal organizations. The media is in bed with these criminal organizations, right? Ring Magazine, which is folding up, thank God, is owned by Golden Boy. So they're going to be biased towards these sanctioning bodies and towards a promotion like Golden Boy. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, on to another question. Let me put up, by the way, for those who want their questions answered, hashtag Rob Silva, R-O-B-S-I-L-V-A on Twitter. All right. From um, Malcolm, a frequent contributor, weekly contributor to the podcast. Do you think Errol Spence and PBC are doing everything in their power to avoid Bud Crawford with their negotiation tactics? I personally think we'll see Bud versus Charlo before Bud versus Spence at this point. I answered your question in full earlier. I'm just telling you right now, I don't know if PBC is avoiding Spence. Bud, uh, uh, Bud I don't think PBC, I'm, I don't think Spence is avoiding Bud. Bud's not avoiding Spence. You don't almost die in a car accident. And you're all but your career is dead. You're almost blind. You almost lose an eye. You fight with one damaged eye against Danny Garcia. You're not afraid of fighting Bud Crawford. Not when you're the bigger fighter. Not when you're the natural welterweight. Right? Not saying Spence is more talented than Crawford because, in my opinion, Crawford is more skilled than Errol Spence. But Errol Spence is not, is not avoiding Bud Crawford. 
PBC might be avoiding Bud Crawford because they lowballed Bud Crawford in the negotiations. But Errol Spence is not avoiding anybody, just like Bud Crawford is not avoiding anybody. I don't see Bud versus Charlo happening. These guys are, are thick as thieves. They're very tight. What I see happening is after Charlo beats the snot out of Tim Zhu in, th- in three months, he moves up to middleweight. Those belts are vacant, and Errol Spence will cherry-pick whatever belt he wants and possibly dominate that division if Crawford stays at 147. All right, on to the next question. The next question. Matter of fact, I have a couple of questions through, through my DMs, so let me um get that up. First, uh, Bianca, Bianca, who attended her first fight, who attended her first fight last weekend. She was at the same fight I was at, the Deontay Wilder one-punch destruction of Robert Hellenius, and she she enjoyed herself. Bianca, don't fool yourself. You know a lot more boxing than most clowns that post on social media. Bianca asks, who would you like to see Spence fight if not Crawford? The only other guy I want to see Errol Spence fight if he stays at welterweight is Jerron Boutsenis. I don't want him. I don't want to see him fight Virgil Ortiz. I don't want him to see him to fight Stanley Onis. I want Boots Ennis to either fight Errol Spence or Bud Crawford next. We see who Bud Crawford is fighting. That's stiff. David Avinician. Get the fuck out of here. Right? Crawford to beat him with one eye closed and one glove behind his back. Get the fuck out of here. I want to see Errol Spence versus Jerome Boots Ennis. And I know Boots' father, Ray Ennis, has uh, petitioned the IBF since Boots is the number one contender for the IBF title. One of the uh, criminal cartel organizations Errol Spence is recognized as world champion by to uh, get a fight immediately versus Boots uh, versus uh, Errol Spence. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's the guy I want to see um, fight Errol Spence. Great question, Bianca. Excellent question. Um, another question from Eddie. Eddie, another frequent contributor to the podcast. And Eddie's question, if Canelo had not lost to Baval, or at least in the way that he did, do you still think he would be in the same spot he, he's in now? Do you believe his camp and him have pretty much been decided to just ride into the sunset? All right, you know, let me ask the, answer the first question. If Canelo had beaten Baval and then he beat up Triple G just like he did, all the publications in the world, including the uh, boxing writers of America, would vote him fighter of the year, even though I don't believe he deserves fighter of the year. But if he would have beaten Baval, he would have been a serious contender. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. I still don't think that's enough for him to win it. But being that he is the most popular box office star right now, all the major publications would have given it to him. And he would still be viewed as pound for pound the best fighter in the world, even though he's not. He's not, as proven in this fight versus Baval. Even if he would have beaten Baval, he's not better than Nioa, Monster, and Noe. All right. Next question. Do you believe his camp and Canelo have pretty much been decided to just ride into the sunset after his unification? Yes. 
I do not see Canelo fighting a major elite fighter again after his loss to Bavall. I think he's going to go on and beat beat up the uh, probably rematches with Callum Smith and Caleb Plant. He can get away with fighting those fights, right? And d- does Canelo seemingly just ducking boxes like Benavides, Andrade, Andrade, Charlo, whoever? tarnish his career or his ability to get to Hall of Fame. No. No. It's not going to tarnish his ability. Canelo retires today. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer undisputedly. It's He's already in. If he was to lose his next 20 fights, he's already in. His legacy is already set in stone. Great questions as always, Eddie. Now, on to more questions from Ask Rob Silva. Let me get this. All right. The next question is from Benny Benny Blanco. Okay. Pernell Whitaker made cats look silly at lightweight, and Floyd Mayweather was a terror at super featherweight. Who do I have if these two guys fought at lightweight? Well, in my opinion, Floyd Mayweather is the greatest 130-pound fighter of all time. In my opinion, Pernell Whitaker is the second greatest lightweight of all time. In my opinion, they're the two greatest Fighters of all time. If these dudes fought, it wouldn't be one time. It would be a best of three, and it's a f- towing cost. Because these, one, Purnell's a softball. Floyd's conventional. Both make you miss while in front of you. Both were great at jabbing to the body. Both were underrated body punches. Both do combinations. Both were great counter punches. They would be looking in the mirror. It would be so damn tough. If they fought 100 times, Floyd will win 50 times, Purnell will win 50 times. All right? It's not a cop-out. It's the truth, Benny. Great question. All right. On to the next question. From Darren. Darren out of Canada. Darren, what's up? And uh, Darren, thank you for all the great uh, prayers that you've come and and reaching out to me uh, personally, asking about if I'm okay, I appreciate that. And then let me tell you something, um, ladies and gentlemen, Darren and the audience. My DNA is strong. I've been through hell this year and I can still laugh. I can still smile. I got that inner strength from my mom. Okay. Got that inner strength from my mom. Nothing. The only thing that's going to beat me is when I finally go to, when I finally die, when I finally go to sleep and die. And hopefully that won't be happening anytime soon. Now, Darren asks, Rob, I'm curious to hear your takes on Mark Breland's pro career. Given he had a glittering amateur career, wondering whether you think he was a disappointment as a pro. For example, thinking of the Aaron Davis upset. Glad to see you're recovering from the Rona, friend. Yep, um, ladies and gentlemen, a week ago today, I was diagnosed. Well, I tested positive with the COVID. Wednesday, I retested, and I know I was no longer. Uh, uh, I no longer had COVID. So, um, whew. let me tell you something though. But on Sunday morning, I had this last Sunday morning, a week ago. From when I'm recording, I had some bad shakes, man. I was fucked up, but I feel much better. Anyway, Mark Breland, 
Mark Breland's uh Mark Breland, in my opinion, was the greatest amateur boxer in the history of the United States. And as far as all time, he's on the same level as Teofilo Stevenson, Felix Savon, Vasily Lomachenko, Guillermo Rigondeaux. He's on that level. Those are the greatest amateurs I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. Mark Breland's on that level. The only difference is Mark Breland only won one gold medal. Those guys won multiple gold medals. As far as his pro career, Darren, yes. It was disappointing. Mark Breland should have been an all-time great. He had a great left jab and a hollist of a right hand at six foot two. Uh, my father and I thought he was going to be the next Thomas Hearns. One thing he lacked that Tommy had. Tommy had a better chin than Mark Breland, and Tommy had more stamina than Mark Breland. That's crazy because Thomas used to be criticized for his chin. And the stamina, ladies and gentlemen, the only people that ever knocked out Thomas Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, and Iran Barkley, all were incredible punches. They were all great punches. While Aaron Davis and Marlon Stalin were never considered... Sugar Ray Leonard is one of the five to ten greatest punches in the history of the welterweight division. Marvin Hagler is one of the top five greatest punches in the history of the middleweight division. Iran Barkley is one of the greatest brawlers of my lifetime with tremendous one-punch power in both hands. Aaron Davis was not a one-punch knockout artist. Mark, uh, Marlon Stalin were, were, was not a one-punch Knockout artists. Neither men are in the top 500 in the history of the welterweight division when it comes to power punching. They both knocked out Mark Breland because Mark Breland was fatigued, was extremely fatigued. Mark Breland was winning both fights late when he got knocked out by Aaron Davis and Marlon Stalin. Yes, Darren, Marlon Stalin had a underwhelming pro career. Not he still was a two-time welterweight champion, and he beat some great. He beat some very good fighters. He obliterated Lloyd Hunnigan, the same guy that knocked out Donald Curry when Donald Curry was, in my opinion, the best fighter in the world. So Mark Breland does have some significant wins, but he's not what my father and I expected as a professional athlete. But Mark Breland retired young. Invested his money wisely through Shelly Finkel and has a, has been able to live a very comfortable life and was huge in Deontay Wilder's development as a as the heavyweight champion of the world for several years, despite their very, very, very vocal and bad breakup. All right. Let me see if there's any more questions. Okay, this will be the final question of the question and answer. Oh, no, actually, I got one more after this. Okay. Uh, Jesus, my Boricua brother, what are the top five boxing matches of the original Sugar Ray Robinson? All right, we're talking about his five greatest performances. And first and foremost is his sixth and final fight 
I believe it was St. Valentine's Day 1951, the Valentine's Day massacre against Jake LaMotta. Jake LaMotta gave him hell for the first half of the fight. Sugar Ray Robinson took over and batted LaMotta, and the referee had to stop LaMotta because LaMotta was not going down. Incredible performance. That performance is on YouTube the entire fight. Second greatest performance was his one-punch knockout of Gene Fulmer in their rematch after Gene Fulmer beat him. I believe this was March of 1957. By the way, Jesus, I'm doing this off the top of my head. That fight is on YouTube. In my opinion, I voted this as the greatest knockout in boxing history. A, A short, perfect left hook that has never been duplicated or replicated. What were some of his other greatest performances? Those were his two, in my opinion. There was his second-round knockout of Carl Bobo Olsen. That's another great performance. Also, against Randall Turpin. The rematch. Turpin defeated him in one of the biggest upsets in boxing history, and I'm giving away one of the shows I'll be talking about upcoming. But... Randy Turpin defeated him. And in the rematch, Turpin was kicking Sugar Ray Robinson's ass. Sugar Ray was bleeding badly. The referee was on the cups of stopping the fight. And Sugar Ray had a dramatic come-from-behind knockout late in the fight to retain the undisputed middleweight championship of the world. Sugar Ray Robinson. Sugar Ray. The referee's going to have to stop this fight. Sugar Ray. It's the end. It's this the end of the career of Raymond Sugar Ray Robinson. His his real name Walker Smith. Oh no, Sugar Ray! Oh down goes Turpin. Sugar Ray Robinson, once again, middleweight champion of the world, and his fifth greatest performance and this fight the entire fight's available on YouTube was his and this was real this was soon after he defeated Jake LaMotta in the Valentine's Day massacre the fight was in Yankee Stadium 105 to 110 degree weather that day for 13 rounds he fought the light heavyweight champion of the world Joey Maxim and he completely dominated Maxim throughout the entire fight Maxim did nothing except raise his hands. At the end of the 13th round, Robinson, from moving so much because he was dancing and jabbing and making um, Maxim miss all night, at the end of the 13th round, because of the heat, Sugar Ray Robinson collapsed, couldn't come out for the 14th round. Joey Maxim, despite doing nothing, won by TKO. So those, Jesus, are my five greatest performances of the original Sugar Ray, Walker Smith, Ray Robinson. And I want to share a cute anecdote with you guys, a fun fact. Raymond Charles Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard, Raymond Charles Leonard was named after Ray Charles. His parents idolized Ray Charles so when Ray Leonard was born they named their son Raymond Charles after Ray Charles Ray uh, right so Ray Leonard gets his original name his birth name from Ray Charles Ray Charles 
legal name is Raymond Charles Robinson. Ray Robinson. He shortened it to Ray Charles as his stage name. Sugar Ray Leonard's name, both names, the sugar comes from Sugar Ray Robinson because he idolized Sugar Ray Robinson. And Ray Charles, his middle name, his birth name comes from legendary Ray Charles, whose real name was Raymond Charles Robinson, Ray Robinson. And Ray Robinson's real name wasn't Ray Robinson. It was Walker Smith. All right. Now, on to my 19th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. And uh, let me open this up so I can start reading this historical overview, that uh, a column that I wrote eight months ago on FightGameMedia.com the parent website to this podcast. And I begin, as I've stated several times in articles and podcasts on this website, Carlos Ortiz is the father and innovator of the Puerto Rican style of boxing. This is the style of a boxer puncher who moves in and out and adjusts his style according to the opposition. While Ortiz was the architect, Wilfredo Gomez improved upon that style. Gomez possessed one of the great right hands of his era and was a very underrated technician in the ring. Add to that a six-year reign as WBC Super Bantamweight champion while also winning world titles at featherweight and super featherweight, and you get the 19th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. As a young child, my father kept emphasizing how great of a fighter Gomez was. In only his 17th pro fight, the 22-year-old Gomez survived the first-round knockdown to eventually knock out the reigning WBC Super Bantamweight champion, Don Kim Yum, to begin his historic run as a 122-pound champion in front of a raucous crowd at San Juan's Roberto Clemente Coliseum. I was nine years old at the time and had just started watching boxing, so I I had yet to see Gomez fight live on television. I can only go by what the boxing magazines and my father was stating about how great Bazooka was. I was too young to see Gomez's greatest triumph 17th months after winning the title. It wasn't until 1979 that children under the age of 14 could attend boxing matches in New York State. This included fights shown in theaters and closed circuit. On October 28, 1978, Gomez would defend his title against the monster puncher and undefeated WBC Bantamweight champion Carlos Serrate, once again at Roberto Clemente Stadium. This was the initial contest in the now famous Puerto Rico versus Mexico boxing rivalry. Going into the fight, both men were undefeated. Gomez had 21 knockouts amongst his 21 wins, and Zarate was an incredible 52-0 with 51 of those wins coming by knockout. Both men were a combined 73-0-1 with 72 knockouts. This was a battle of arguably the two biggest power punches in boxing at the time. Many so-called experts felt Zarate was too tall and powerful for Gomez to stand a chance. Zarate stood five foot seven to Gomez's five foot five. My father gambled heavily on Gomez as he felt Gomez was the much more skilled boxer and that Zarate was a one-dimensional bully. Pop was also biased based on both and he both he and Gomez being Puerto Rican. My father wanted to take me to see this history-making fight, 
but I was too short and scrawny as a 10-year-old to pass for a 14-year-old, so my father attended the fight by himself. I stayed up well, well past midnight that Saturday evening to see if our boy Gomez had won. Ladies and gentlemen, back then there was no internet. Uh, there was no sports talk radio. So you didn't know who won a fight until the following morning if and when the newspaper reported the results. So I had to wait until my father came home from watching the final closed circuit. As soon as my father walked through our apartment door, I knew Gomez had won. My father was both drunk and happy. He also had a bouquet of flowers he had bought for my mother that he purchased with the money he won wagering on Gomez. My father happily demonstrated how Gomez completely schooled the Mexican slugger. I finally got to see a fight of the tape a little over 20 years later, and it was exactly how Pop described it. For the first three rounds, Gomez boxed Zarate's ears off, going in and out and side to side while landing with his job and Chris counterpunching. Zarate was walking towards Gomez with absolutely no jabs being attempted. You cannot defeat a great fighter like Gomez without a jab as part of your repertoire. Then in the fourth round, Zarate walked into a picture-perfect check left hook that dropped the Mexican warrior. Gomez was one of the greatest finishers who ever lived. He jumped on Zarate after he got up and dropped him again as the bell sounded to end the round, this time with his vaunted right cross. After Zarate got up and staggered to his corner, Gomez stood the entire 60 seconds rest period, anticipating the finish. As soon as round five began, Gomez raced across the ring and dropped Zarate with another left hook. Zarate's corner immediately threw in the towel. The Puerto Rican fans in the capacity crowd of almost 10,000 exploded with cheers, not unlike a World Series celebration. Although he had continued to reign supreme as the 122-pound king, Gomez began slipping into bad habits inside the, inside the ring. He became less of a technician and more of a puncher. While he destroyed one opponent after another, his reliance on pure punching power cost him dearly when he moved up to face WBC 126-pound champion Salvador Sanchez in August of 1981. Gomez was completely dominated by the Mexican legend before he was finished off in the eighth round. Gomez was unable to secure a rematch with, with Sanchez as Sanchez died a year later, just nine days short of the anniversary of their fight in a car accident. Gomez decided that he still needed to redeem himself in the ring after the beating he suffered at the hands of Sanchez. He signed to fight the reigning WBC Bantamweight champion Lupe Pintor in the third and final Puerto Rico versus Mexico super fight Gomez engaged in. In an incredible war, Gomez outlasted the game warrior to win via 14th round technical knockout in December of 1982. It was the 17th and final successful defense of Gomez's dominating six-year reign as 122-pound king. His next step was to move up to 126 pounds and once again win the WBC title, this time held by Puerto, fellow Puerto Rican and the, and the successor to Sanchez's champion, Juan Laporte. On March 31, 1984, in front of a sold-out San Juan Roberto Clemente College Stadium again, Gomez fought the last great boxing performance of his career. Laporte was unable to register any offensive significance as a vintage Gomez completely outboxed 
and outmanned his fellow countrymen in route to a unanimous 12-round decision to capture his second world title. Although only 27 at the time, Gomez, unbeknownst to himself, was already past his prime. On December 8, 1984, Gomez defended his crown for the first time against Azuma Nelson. Pop and I both knew that Gomez had no shot against the brilliant Ghanaian boxer. Gomez was unbelievable in his resilience that evening, as no matter what Gomez did, he could not hold off the the rambunctious and powerful African. Nelson systematically broke down Gomez before putting putting him to sleep at the end of the 11th round. The San Juan Edom Bithorn Stadium was in complete awe of how Nelson totally dominated their legendary countrymen. They were witnessing the end of one legend and the beginning of another. Gomez, now 28 and a shell of what he once was, moved up to 130 pounds and challenged the WBA junior lightweight champion Rocky Lockridge. On May 19, 1985, once again in front of a sold-out Roberto Clemente Stadium, Gomez looked very lethargic and took a one-sided beating at the hands of the American champion for the first 10 rounds. The final five rounds of the fight saw Gomez actually outpunch an exhausted Lockridge. Only problem was, those punches Gomez landed had absolutely no zip to them and were completely ineffectual. At the end of the 15th and final round, Gomez Pop was telling me Gomez should never fight again as he looked old and done. Unfortunately, the judges di- didn't see it the same way as they gave Gomez a decision. As the result of this highway robbery, Gomez became the second Puerto Rican to win another world title in three weight classes. He should have thanked his lucky stars and retired then. A year later, Gomez defended his 130-pound world title against the Panamanian fringe contender, Alfredo Lane. The fight wasn't televised in the United States. My father read about it in the Spanish daily newspaper El Diario the day after the fight took place, once again at Roberto Clemente Stadium. I'm glad it wasn't televised as Gomez looked like a total zombie before referee Stanley Christodoulou stopped the brutal beating Gomez was taking in the ninth round. To give you context of how washed up Gomez was at this point, Lane would only win one of his next eight fights. Gomez would win his next two fights against less than subpar fighters before finally retiring in 1989 at the age of 33 with a record of 44 wins, three losses, one draw, 42 of those wins coming by knockout. Wilfredo Gomez is the standard that all Puerto Rican fighters should be judged against. He took the style that Carlos Ortiz created and brought it to another level. Puerto Rican fighters like Miguel Cotto and Xander Zayas have without a doubt patterned their style after the legendary Gomez. Adding his influence amongst Puerto Rican boxers to his remarkable career makes him the greatest fighter of the last 45 years that was Puerto Rican and the 19th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your patronage. I I appreciate your continual support of this podcast. And on behalf of my mother, I want everybody to continue being blessed and be a blessing. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.